Get your Bibles out or get your, your phone out, however you read, because I'm not going to open with a text tonight. It's going to be very different. Uh, I'm going to go straight into the Word, but we're going to go, we're going to walk through Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So I want you to keep that close, keep it handy, and if you don't know a lot about the Bible, it's okay. We all are learning together. Uh, I heard a preacher tell me one time, he said, when you study for a message, don't study in your office, go to a coffee shop. And ask yourself, as you study in and people are coming in to get a cup of coffee, could they understand what I'm getting ready to say? I think sometimes we think that everybody knows the Bible in and out. That's not true. We live in a society that doesn't have a lot of knowledge about the Word. So we've got to get up here and break it down so everybody can understand. So if I say something and you're like, man, I already knew that, well, guess what? Congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. But I want you to celebrate like you didn't know. And get excited over the word of God. We've been through a very different and exciting season at the river. A season of expansive growth and building. But with it has come many challenges. Because when you start advancing the kingdom of God, there will be opposition. If you're comfortable, you're probably not advancing. Because when you start challenging yourself and your faith, then all of a sudden things start happening that you never even imagined would happen. We started phase one and two, which was the offices to my left in the foyer. And immediately when we started building, uh, there came a rainstorm and water came into the sanctuary. We did not plan on that happening. Uh, materials were delayed. Uh, there was a barge that overturned in a canal. And our flooring <laughs> had to cross that canal to get here. And it couldn't. So guess what? The material was delayed. Then we had a hurricane. Does anybody know what that hurricane was called? I'm being honest, all this has been going on while we're trying to build phases one, two, three. More water came into every building, not just one building, but all three buildings. And then we had to shut down our building for demolition. And then, of course, you've got inflation. So what was going to cost this amount is now 30 to 50% higher. And then I go to prayer and say, God, what have I done? Did I hear from you? Because I know what you told me, I know what you challenged me to do in the midst of a pandemic to build, but that's what the enemy wants. When you start stepping out in faith and obeying what God told you to do, the enemy is going to attempt to plant seeds of doubt in your mind that you've got to rebuttal against and say, you know what? God spoke it to me, I'm going to do it anyway. Because I can tell you this, this is the word that God, and I'm going to tie all this into personal, corporate, everything. God told me the miracle is in the add-on, Right? What he, that's what God spoke to me. That's what he put in my heart. That's what he told me. Since we started this building program with all these challenges, we've doubled in attendance. We baptized over 160 people in Jesus' name. Revival has been in the land. Why? Because we're going to build no matter what the opposition is because God said build. Then you start building. You have all this growth. Well, now you have another problem. How are you going to sustain this growth? Because it's uncomfortable. How are you going to keep up with 500 people that call this their, their home? How are you going to have people management? How are you going to make sure everyone is accounted for? 
How, you can't plan discipleship classes. Connect groups can't happen because you don't know when the building is going to be shut down. Uh, school of discipleship can't happen right now. Next step ca can't happen. And the list goes on and on. Why? Because we're building. You see, building is exciting, but it's not comfortable. It's chaotic. It's uncertain, but it's necessary. Because God told us to prepare for the harvest. That's why I want to equip every person here. So we can endure the season of building and come out stronger on the other side. I want us to finish and enjoy what God has done. And then I want us to grow more. Everybody say grow more. We're not done when this 30 foot is done. We're going to add more souls to the kingdom. We're going to disciple more people. We're going to plant more churches. We will build. So as we study the book of Nehemiah, we'll learn things that will help us corporately and personally. Discovering principles that will, will guide us as we continue to build the kingdom of God. I'm not going to read a text like I've already said. But I do want to set the historical context. In order to do that, before we get to the book of Nehemiah, you've got to allow me for one moment to go back to Genesis 12. So I'm about to walk you through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going through every book tonight. So 726 now. Four days, we'll be out quickly. Genesis 12, God called a man by the name of Abram, right? His name means exalted father. He said, Abram, leave your country and follow me to another land, which was Canaan, the promised land. You see, God was keeping his promise leading to the Messiah, despite the evil that needed to be addressed in the world. Life and longevity were declining, but God was establishing his purpose through the genealogical record. Abram had, an, had to act in faith because he didn't know where God was leading him. You ever been there where God is calling you to more, but you really don't know what God is leading you to? He only knew that if he would obey, that God would respond by making him into a great nation, making his name great, and even using him to bring blessings to others. Simply put, God was advancing his kingdom through Abram. You need to write this down. I want to be available for God to advance his kingdom through. Can I hear an amen? I, Josh Payne, you, your name. You need to write down, I want to be available, whatever that looks like, to advance God's kingdom agenda. And I think the river is a, a lot like Abram. God directed us to leave our comfort zone and take a step of faith during a pandemic. Think about that, a pandemic. While everything else is declining, God challenges us to build and advance the kingdom. That's why I can honestly say I'm not nervous today. Somebody saw me in the foyer and say, Pastor, you look good. You look good tonight. So I, I'm carrying the stress of all of this, but I feel a little bit different tonight. After reading this and studying this, I'm really not nervous because if God gave us the vision to build, he will supply the provision to finish. God's never going to bring you to something and not give you the provision to sustain what he brings you to. So some of you are like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I, can, if I can handle that anointing. If God puts that anointing on you, you can handle it. You've just got to make up in your mind that you can handle it. Now watch, the blessing of Abram, who would eventually become Abraham. Watch the blessing. Watch. As he obeyed, the Bible says his descendants multiplied. Man, you got to get this right here. Our obedience will always unlock God's abundance. 
If we're not obedient to God in his word, his abundance will be locked up. But as soon as we say, God, I'm available, I'm obedient, can, you can use me, God unlocks abundance and pours it out on his people. It's God's pattern. Not only does obedience lead to blessing, but it also leads to greater clarity of God's will, purpose, and direction in our lives. God speaks in concert with our obedience, not with our rebellion. So as stressful as this season has been and the season of your life has been, God is speaking as we build and multiply. And I want to challenge everyone here today. Don't miss this season of asking what is the Spirit saying. We can get so frustrated while we're building that we don't no longer ask what is the Spirit speaking to me. What are you speaking to me during this season? The worst thing that could happen is we get to the next season. And we're still on the same level we were in this we are in this season. God takes us through, we build, we advance, we multiply, but we're still on the same level because we didn't learn anything while we waited. I told my wife, I said, I feel like I'm in a hallway. The hallway can be a good thing because it's a transition point. But how I handle the hallway determines how I get to enjoy the next season of my life. It's vital, it's vital. It's vital because I want to be in tune, not with what I feel. I want to be in tune with what the Spirit of God is saying in my life. Because if we're not in tune, we will feel left out. Abram responded to God's promise by building two altars to the true God. One at the Oak of Morah, most likely a Canaanite worship center, and another in Bethel. The location where Jacob would dream of a ladder leading to heaven. And when he therefore would name it Bethel, the house of God. These altars represented public declaration of faith in the midst of a pagan environment. Right? We don't build altars of stone nowadays. But what we're trying to build here is a representation of the goodness of God in the midst. Y'all know what happened. They raided Donald Trump's home. You know. Some of you got nervous. Y'all, this world that we live in, especially in the United States of America, is chaotic right now. I don't hear nobody on the news saying Jesus is the way. I don't hear nobody saying, hey, look, the answer is why don't we advance the kingdom of God? No, everything's falling apart because we're taking Jesus out of the core of who we are as a nation. And now you've got two parties, Republicans and Democrats, and they're fighting against each other. And then there's retaliation. And then you've got all this opposition. Then you've got all this division. And I, I don't hear anybody saying, but look at what the Lord can do and will do if we will turn to him and say, God, use us for your glory. So in the midst of this broken society, I've had people see me in our community and say, we go out of our way to drive by the river to see what's happening on that campus. Because we're just like Abraham. We're building an altar that says God is still faithful and good no matter what is going on around us. You need to build an altar everywhere you go. Take it with you. People can look at you and say, how they got a peace of mind right now? How are they making it through? Right? How are they still building right now in the midst of all this? It's a broken society. But everything that we're building is a testimony of look what God can do. Then after after, after, after Abraham, you had Joseph's story, and then the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, and God called them out under the leadership of Moses. Eventually, they were allowed to enter the land. God had promised them Canaan, the land God promised Abraham. 
hundreds of years passed during which the nation experienced struggles and faithlessness and pushing back against God. And the high point of Israel's history came when a man named David sat on the throne. A godly king was called to lead them. He had a heart for God. And for 40 years, David expanded the nation in every way. They were blessed. The favor of the Lord rested upon them. But things went downhill as soon as his son Solomon took over. Solomon started out good. God was using him to build and advance the kingdom. But all of a sudden, he got detoured. I could get into all of that, but I'm, I'm going to have to be careful. Right? I'm going to navigate this very. Solomon said there was no pleasure exempt from him. Anything that his heart desired, he could do. He said, but at the end of his life, it was like chasing the wind. It never sufficed or fulfilled. He turned away from God after his, his dad left him the blueprints to build the temple. And now Solomon dies. The kingdom is in disarray. And Israel is split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom had ten tribes and were referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom had two tribes and was referred to as Judah. And because of their disobedience, the Assyrians conquered Israel. And the ten tribes were scattered and became known as the lost tribes of Israel. And even though the southern tribes saw all this happen, they too continued to rebel against God. So finally, in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army captured the Jews. Jerusalem was destroyed. Their walls of protection were knocked down. And the temple was burned because nobody cared anymore about making sure that they were building and advancing the kingdom of God. And the city was left in ruins. Because when you stop building, you stop advancing. And here's a, here's a picture of the devastation. I got it. I found this. of This was when, when the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. That's devastating. That's heartbreaking. I can imagine this is what Jerusalem looked like. Once, once a city with a temple and a house of God and walls and a place that was thriving all of a sudden because the people stopped building and advancing the kingdom of God now the walls are knocked down and the temple is destroyed it must have been traumatic for the Jews to see death and destruction and then be forced to leave their homeland and travel about a thousand miles to a foreign country however God's prophets predicted the people one day would get to go back home. And God did not forsake his people. He allowed the Persians to take over the Babylonians. And he moved King Cyrus to make a decree to let some of the Jews return. And in and, and three stages, over about a hundred years, they were allowed to migrate back to Jerusalem. Only to discover the city was demolished and desolate. Living there with no walls or temples, a temple was dangerous, difficult, and sorrowful. After the decree of Cyrus, 50,000 Israelites returned to Judah with Zerubbabel, and they began to rebuild the temple. But unfortunately, guess what, they, guess what happened to them? They got discouraged, and they said, we ain't building no more. They quit. They laid down their hammers. They said, we out. We're not building anything else. So God sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to encourage them to finish the project. And Ezra was also sent to help restore their spiritual fervor. Finally, finally, Nehemiah tells his story. And man, it, in the 20th year of the reign of a king's name, I'm not even going to try to pronounce. You can read that in verse 1. I had it wrote down. I sounded that all day, but we're not even going to go there. Read it. 
I'm going to spell it to you. If you want me to spell it to you. It's got tax in there. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> By now, Persia had replaced Babylon as the, the region's great power, and the Persians ruled with a very different means of control. The commitment of the Persians was to resettle captured people in their native lands. The conquered could act uh, with a degree of autonomy as long as they supported the state and paid their taxes. So as we start the book of Nehemiah, we realize that God is about to instigate another move back to the promised land. The book falls into several divisions. The first six chapters cover the rebuilding of the wall, while chapters 7 through 10 deal with the renewing of Jerusalem's worship, with the final chapters addressing the repopulation and revival of God's people. So here we go. The first lesson that I'm going to give you is this. If we're going to build, we've got to know how to pray. If we're going to build, we've got to know how to pray. Prayer is one of the overriding themes of the book and secret to Nehemiah's success. It begins with prayer in Persia and it closes with prayer in Jerusalem. Proving that only ventures that are begun in prayer and soaked in prayer are likely to be blessed. If we're not praying, we're never going to make it. You can start something, but you'll never finish it unless you have a mindset to pray. His prayers are filled with adoration in chapters 8 and 9, thanksgiving in chapter 12, confession in chapters 1 and 9, petition in chapters 1 and 2. There are prayers of anguish and joy and protection and dependence and commitment. You see, the book of Nehemiah is a story of compassionate, persistent, personal, and corporate prayer. Why is this important? Because prayer gives Nehemiah perspective. It widens his horizons, it sharpens his visions, and it overshadows his anxieties. Prayer is breathing for the soul. When you don't know what to do, because the enemy wants to stun our growth and what we're trying to build. And know how he does that? He keeps us from praying. If we're not praying, we're not growing. And if we're not praying, we're not going to have the energy to continue to build because prayer is breath for the soul. When I tell God, I don't know how it's going to happen or what I'm going to do, but I trust you. That's what it is. Somebody said, what is prayer? It's casting your cares on God. God, I don't know. Listen. I don't know why it's going to cost 30 to 50 more percent to build. I don't know. I know inflation's there, but I don't know. I put brother, Monday I walked into my office. I said, brother Mike, come here. I retire. You taking over the building project. Finish it out. That's a true story. I walked in, did I or did I not? And I said, hey, I'm done. <laughs> hey, Omar, don't call me anymore about the building. Call brother Michael. Turned it over. You know what I did? Gave it to brother Michael, and then I went to prayer. Because the reason people feel unloved, condemned, forgotten, disgruntled, frustrated is because they have neglected their prayer life. And they've lost their communication with God. When we're not praying, we lose our vision. And we try to flesh out stuff that we should be working out in the spirit of God. Listen. We've got to. They, they did a study and this is what they found out. They did a study. This is a real study. I can give you the link to go read it. They said if you get mad. If you'll stop and pray before you react to that anchor, you won't feel angry. So you won't respond the way that you won't put these hands on nobody. You won't have to curse at anybody. You don't have to flip them off at the red light. And Christians do flip people off. Don't point at nobody. You better not right now. My God, I feel boy. 
feel it got deep in here just a moment right now. Listen, before you get road rage, pray. Before you act out, pray. Because when you pray, you realign your vision with the character of God. And God is love. You'll start loving people you don't even like. God, you want me to take them to Cracker Barrel and get them a pancake and some bread? God said, yeah, that's what I want you to do because that's what I would do. Listen, I'm not talking about showing up on Sunday or praying over your meal. They used to have an old country song, Feed Jake. He's been a good dog all through it all. If I die before I wake, Feed Jake. That ain't the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I promise you, I'm, I got a dog and I love her and she's a part of the family. Brother Ralph, when I go to bed, I'm not praying, God feed Mella. She's been a good dog all through it all. If I die before I wake. <laughs> oh man, that's ritualistic. Praying. Praying those prayers. God bless this food and nourishes our body. I do it. I'm guilty. That, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you realign yourself with the Spirit of God and you say, God, I need, I need some fresh air right now. I need to breathe. And listen, I'm all about, I believe in praying in the Spirit and I believe in intercessory prayer. But some of us make prayer so heavy for other people that it literally weighs them down. Watch this. Prayer is not a monologue. If you pray only to hear your voice... You're missing out. Prayer is a dialogue. You pray and then you listen. God, what are you speaking to my spirit right now? And if you pray that way, you'll watch depression turn into joy and fear into faith. And all of a sudden, you'll, you'll be refreshed and be like, man, I just went into a little prayer meeting and I come out feeling way different than what I felt when I went into prayer. I got to hurry. Proverbs 34, 5 through 8. I sought the Lord and he answered me. You got that one? Psalms 34, 5 through 8. Look, there it is right there. You ask the Lord will give. I sought the Lord. He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Those who pray, they've got a shine about them nobody else got. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. He pulled him out. Nobody else could get this poor man out of his trouble. But he prayed and the Lord pulled him out. Boy, isn't that amazing? And I love this. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man who takes refuge in him. Verses 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. When's the last time you told him I need to get out of what I'm in so I can continue to build my life and advance your kingdom? Watch this next verse. I, this, this is one of my favorite. Verse 18. You need to write this down. You got verse 18? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed spirit. That used to be an old song. Let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him about all the troubles. He will hear our famous cry. And I don't even know what this next part means. He'll answer by and by. I don't know what it means, but he will. He'll answer by and by. <laughs> by and by. 
Boy, they put boy, they love that word back in the day. <laughs> by and by. When the morning comes, let me get out of here. First Peter 5 and 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he what? He cares for you. Prayer is more than just a preacher screaming and spitting to pray. It's a place that you enter into where you say, God, I've got all this baggage and I can't do what I want to do while I'm carrying weariness and frustration and anger and resentment. How are you going to build? Listen, I'm not a builder. Brother Mike came with some office. He told me everything, everything going on with the building program. And I just looked at him. I said, bro, that's why I got you. My boy. Great. Listen, I don't build. Brother Michael just built him a little apartment. He didn't invite me over one day to try to build anything. I waited. I said by my phone one day, I said, he's going, hey, bring your tools. I got you, bro. I got you. Let me get over there. I'm about to build. But I do know this. If I would have went to Brother Michael's house and I'd have my hands full with everything else and he tried to ha hand me a hammer to help him build, I wouldn't be able to grab it. And there's too many people in the church, you want to build something for the kingdom of God, but you've got too much junk in your hands. You mad at this one, grouchy about this one, bitter about this. <laughs> And God said, I'm trying to give you a hammer and a sword because I want you to build and fight for my kingdom. And you can't grab none of it. Nehemiah's public life was the overflow of his personal life. Nehemiah's personal life was steeped in prayer, so it overflowed to his life. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Frustration gets a hold of me just like it does anybody else. Weariness, tired. But when I feel that, I've got to go to prayer. And I've got to say, you know what? I want my, my public life to be an outflow of my personal prayer time. Watch this. There's a process to prayer. And I don't know if I'm going to finish this. Because I will not go past 9 o'clock. I promise. Here we go. <laughs> There's a process to prayer. Verses 1 through 4. Nehemiah started with a concern. Now, you got to understand, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He works for the king. He didn't work for the cobbler making shoes he doesn't work for the carpenter he doesn't work for the coppersmith this boy is working for the king as a cupbearer nehemiah had a great job he had access to royalty political standing and a place to live in the palace my boy was set it was a favorable job that provided everything he needed yet one of his brothers returned from a road trip to jerusalem and it says that nehemiah went and found him and questioned him about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. The word question means to inquire or demand an answer. Nehemiah was greatly concerned about what was happening in Jerusalem. He could have literally insulated himself and chose not to know. Listen, when you're living a good life and you're blessed, you got money in the bank, everything's going good, it's easy to get insulated from what's going on around you. But it's an important starting point. It's so easy for us to stay so uninvolved and unaware. Some of us don't even want to think about the stuff in our own lives. Much less take the time to investigate what's happening around us. Boy, am I preaching? We don't even want to look at our own stuff that we got. Much less say, hey, you know what? What, what, what does so-and-so need? Is the church okay? Is the community okay? Is our nation okay? Because we ain't prayed for the nation in a long time. We gripe more than we pray about it. So... 
Listen, when's the last time you asked yourself, how am I doing spiritually? Or have you become so insulated that it doesn't even matter? When's the last time you asked the question, where does the church need help? What, what, what can I do to add value to the kingdom? Can I, can I give more? Can I advance the kingdom more? We need to be in tune with our personal needs, the needs of our world, the kingdom, our community, and our church. Because if we're not concerned, we will not pray for it. If we're not concerned with everything going on around us, we will not pray. And even though Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem, he had heard stories about it, and his mind couldn't shake it. Nehemiah said, I'm concerned about Jerusalem. I'm concerned about where the temple used to be and the walls used to be. Some of us are on our way to heaven and are satisfied. Listen, when is the last time you wept over somebody that's not on their way to heaven? Building doesn't make sense to those who no longer care about adding people to the kingdom of God. My own personal time, you're probably thinking, why we need, well, you saw Sunday why we need it. We ran out of parking and we ran out of seating. But people who no longer have a heart for the kingdom don't understand why you want to add more chairs and add more parking. I can tell you because every spot is where a soul is going to sit. Shame on us at the river if your family pulls in the parking lot and they don't have a place to park or a seat to set in in order to hear the gospel and salvation. We've got to care. It's got to concern us. And as he, heard, as, he, as he heard about Jerusalem, he thought about it, that the survivors were in great trouble and disgrace, that the wall of Jerusalem was in shambles and that its gates had been burned with fire. As he tried to imagine the shame in the city of David, he could barely stand it. The phrase great trouble meant that the people were broken down and were falling to pieces. Three words summarize the bad news. Remnant, run, and reproach. Building had worn them out. And Nehemiah was broken over the complacency of the people of Jerusalem. They were living in ruins. And watch this. They accepted it. They were broke because the city was broke. But they just accepted it, laid down their hammer and quit working. They were willing to walk around the devastation instead of being concerned enough to do something about their situation. Some of us have become so complacent about the way our life is going. If you can live with rubble and it doesn't bother you anymore and you no longer want to fix things in prayer and get your spirit in order and advance the kingdom of God, then you're not advancing or building the kingdom of God got to make sure habits are in place and when he heard this report he hit the ground and began to weep verse 4 the meaning behind this word is that he lamented much like Jesus did when he cried out in painful tears when he observed the hard hearts of those in Jerusalem because Nehemiah know that broken people cannot fix broken walls broken people cannot broken people cannot fix broken walls and then the Bible says he fasted he prayed. He started fasting. You know what fasting is? It's willing to give up something that your body craves in order to gain something your spirit needs. My body craves food. It's obvious. But I'll give it up because I want to make sure that I'm building the kingdom of God. Some things will not change until we fast and we pray. 
And I don't care whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, or 12. Until you have been worried about something bigger than yourself, you have not, let, not lived yet. Until our prayer life and fasting has gone beyond me and my four and no more, I'm not an intercessor. I'm not a prayer warrior. If all I care about is me... And until we're troubled about something that you didn't see how in the world it was going to work out, but it bothered you, you are not living. And I can tell you right now, as long as I'm here, I'll fight for this community. It means something to me. I'll fight for your family. I'll fight for my family. I'll fight for this church because it means something to me. Let me ask you something, ma'am or sir. What will you fight for? And I'm hurrying. Musicians, you can come. He became concerned. He prayed and he fasted. And conviction led to him testifying about God's character. Verses 5. Give it to me real quick, Brother Shane. I'm going to hurry. The Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Most of us would have went to God in prayer and been like, God, this is the problem. I need you to fix it. Nehemiah didn't. He goes to God and he builds the character of God up. He recognizes the Lord as his master. He refers to himself as God's servant. He tells him, you're the God of heaven. You have all power. You love us, God. You know what you're doing. We trust you. And watch this. He calls him great and awesome. A woman once said to British evangelist uh, G. Campbell Morgan, I only take big things to God because I don't want to worry him with the small things. To which the evangelist replied, lady, anything you bring to God is small. Nehemiah reminds us that when you go to prayer, don't just talk about what you need God to fix. Tell him how great he is. God, your character is unmatched. You can't lie. You told us you was going to do it. You're going to do it, God. I know I'm serving this king, but he's not the king of kings or the Lord of lords. And as he started praying, his perspective started changing. Verses 6 through 7. He said, let your ear be attentive and open your eyes upon to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess, watch this. He talks about the character of God, and then he begins to confess his sins. Nehemiah had every right. Brother Ralph, you correct me. I have service if I'm wrong. I can't find a lot that Nehemiah did wrong. If I'm Nehemiah, I'm blaming everybody else. God, they're the reason that we're in the predicament we're in. Nehemiah said, God, I'm a part of the problem. And he begins to confess his sins and say, I'm sorry, God. Listen, most of us feel bad about our sins, but when is the last time we confessed our sins? Because we can't hide from them. There's a story told about some, some uh, Boeing employees who decided to steal a life raft from one of the 747s. You know what they were going to use it for? They was going to go on a river rafting trip. But they didn't realize that the raft comes with an emergency locator that is automatically activated when the raft is inflated. So as they hanging out on the river, all of a sudden a helicopter, the Coast Guard showed up in a helicopter. You can try to hide your sin from God, but you can't. So when you go to prayer, talk about how great he is, but then confess, God, there's sin in my life. There's iniquity, and I'm sorry, God. I'm doing the best that I can do. Uh, watch, and then verses 8 through 10, it leads to a confidence in God's promises. That God, I know your character. I'm sinful. I'm a part of the problem. I confess. But God, I know that you, if you promise it, you're going to do it. 
And the last thing, you can read verses, those, those two verses when you get home, verses 8 through 10. Let me get to verse 11 because I've got to close with this. Nehemiah knew God would keep his covenant with his people. He also knew that even though God did not need his help, Nehemiah said, I'm ready to make a commitment to you, God. Watch the progression of his prayer. He's concerned about the problem. It leads to brokenness. And while he's weeping and fasting, he expressed his conviction about God's character. And as he focused on the greatness and awesomeness of his holy God, he was quickly reminded of his own wickedness and therefore cried out in confession. And after owning his role in the nation's corruption, he prayed boldly and with confidence. This is what he said about the promises of God. And then it leads him to this. He said, God, I'm not just going to talk to you about it. I'm going to be committed to help change it. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I love what he says. I was cupbearer to the king. I was just a normal Joe. I was just a worker on my job. I was just somebody that went to church. I was, but I, I want you to give me favor, God, that I can build something more than just going through the motions. Watch this. History says that this particular king had killed his brother to get the position that he had. So he didn't take any foolishness. However, Nehemiah isn't working for the king alone. He's been positioned for purpose. Write this down right now. I need you to write this down. I'm preaching to somebody. You think you're there just for the job. You think you're here just to be at this church. But God has positioned you for purpose. That's why you don't move every time somebody says something that gets on your nerves. Because he puts you where he puts you for influence. I'm involved. I'm not involved here. I'm involved. I went Monday night. And I, I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to make her feel out of place. But Monday night I went to an FCA meeting at Holden. And... I witnessed in a community, not from here. My wife said, baby, what are you going to do if they call you down to pray? I said, I'm going to tell them I'm not praying. Nah. She did. That's a true story. If y'all would have said, hey, come pray, I'd be like, nah, uh, ain't my time. Ain't my time. I would have. But I watched, I watched in the gymnasium where people sat. I watched Kobe Barksdale kid that I don't even know by the name of Jake Forbes I believe, Kayla Barksdale Maggie Hughes and then I, I witnessed raise your hand Crystal so I know you are See, make it awkward as possible I now refer to her as Rev Crystal but I watched them lead a prayer meeting in the gym and I watched Crystal deliver a word to the community why? Because I was just an administrator at the school. I was just the king's cup builder. But now I'm a builder of the kingdom of God. And the Lord is telling me some of you need to come out of your cocoon. You've been locked up for too long. Come on. you got to get to a place that you're exposed to the greatness of the kingdom. And anything less doesn't suffice anymore. Nothing else suffices. And while Nehemiah was praying, his burden for Jerusalem became greater. And he asked for a three-year leave of absence. Three years. He said, look, let me go back, king, and let me build. Let me fix the walls and fix the temple. Let me advance the kingdom of God. And God is calling. I'm telling you right now, it's every hand, every heart. 
And I'm, I'm preaching from where I'm at because we are building. But I'm not just talking about a corporate building. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Ma'am or sir, I don't know some of you. I might know all of you. I don't know. I might know. I might have met some of you in the foyer. Been pastoring here for 10 years. Some of you I know very well. But I can tell you this. Everybody in this place, God wants to position you for divine purpose. To advance the kingdom of God. But you got to become concerned. You've got to get a burden for the lost. You've got to go to prayer, recognize how big God is, confess your sins, and then say, God, I want you to position me. I want to be committed, God, because your promises are true. As we stand all over the house. It's bigger than one man. It's bigger than one school. We're building, but you've got to know how to pray. This week, this is what I'm going to ask you. They're getting ready to sing. How many will spend time this week in prayer? And this is all I want you to do. I want you to go to prayer. And I want you to lift up the character of God. I want you to get a concern. This is what I want you to pray. God, put somebody or a place on my heart that you need me to build and invest. It might be your job. It might be somewhere in the community. It might be, it might be here. I don't know. But God, give, give me a burden. Let me have a concern. And then I want you to go to God in prayer and I want you to say, God, you're great. Everything going on in our nation, all this chaos, God, every time you get on the news and you read all of this and everything going on, God, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, but you're bigger than all of that, God. You're mighty and powerful. There's nobody near you or close to you. Nobody else carries the true name of creator. You can create anything. The devil's just an imitator, God. You are the only original creator. God, I confess my sins my iniquity God I, can, I give them to you and God this is what I know your promises are yay and amen and now I'm committed to get involved we're going down to the river down to the